You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. Oh, you're awake. This is going to be a good sermon. Well, good service. (laughs) No guarantees on the sermon. Uh, My name is Simon. If we have not met and you are new, I would love to say hello, shake your hand, hear how you heard about us, and answer any questions that you may have about our church. Thank you for those watching online. Glad you guys have joined us. Don't forget, in the description section of the YouTube channel, you can find all of our sermon notes if you're looking for those. So we have been in our Jesus Teaches On series, and I'm going to talk on a section today that probably none of you deal with, none of you have ever had a problem with, but I'm going to go ahead and press into it anyway, because I'm not sure if this is an area that would touch your life. But when I say the word worry, (laughs) what comes to mind? (laughs) Chances are it's a thing that you worry about, isn't it? You might be so worried about me asking about things that you're worried about that I may ask you about what's being worried that now you're worried that I've asked what you're worried about. And you're like, let me think through that. Just, you'll get there. It's all good. But the reality is this. We worry about stuff all the time, don't we? And it could be from a range of different things. We worry about money. We worry about the lack of money that we have. Or we worry about the money that we do have that we're not going to have. And so we then worry about that. Maybe you're younger and you worry about, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? Maybe you're married about who I'm going to marry. Maybe you're married and you're worried about who you are married to because of what's going on in your life right now. Katie's shaking her head, yes. I don't know what's going on with her and Justin, but there's a problem that we'll deal with later. So it's okay. I counsel on the side and cheap. It'll be great. Maybe (laughs) caught me off guard with that one. Maybe you're worried about your children and you have a small helicopter and you fly around over the top of them all the time, making sure that no dangers will ever happen to their souls because they should never go through anything difficult. That was a lot of sarcasm if you didn't catch it. Maybe you're worried about the state of our country. Maybe you're worried about who's going to win the next election. Maybe if you're older, you're worried about how long your health's going to hang in there. Maybe it's not even about the health, it's I am very far in my age and I'm, I'm worried about death. I think about death all the time. Or maybe you're like me and you're afraid that the world is going to be taken over by AI. I don't know where your worries are, but the reality is that we worry about a lot of stuff. And Jesus is going to speak on this very idea today, but the word that he's going to use is the word anxious. We know that word anxiety all the time. We hear it constantly. And he's going to use the word anxious five times in this very small section of scripture. And as a matter of fact, he's going to command us three times not to be anxious. So we have a command from Jesus not to do something, which means if we become anxious as individuals in life, it means that we're in rebellion to God in some way, shape, or form. And so what we want to do is we want to figure out what is the root of this today? Like what's going on in my heart that causes worry, that causes anxiety? How do I fight against it? And how is the love of the father and his children the remedy for the anxiety and the worry that we deal with in life? So I'd love for you to open up your Bibles today is Matthew 6, 25 through 34 is where we're going to be hanging out and what we're going to be dealing with. So we'll kind of come back and forth this today. 
And it says this. Uh, by the way, if you're new and don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you underneath. If you don't own a Bible, keep it, take it, use it, read it. We want you to have God's Word, or you can listen or follow along on the screen. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his life, to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall I wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray and get into this section. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for how you've spoken to me in this passage this week, that you have revealed areas of worry in my heart, anxiety in my heart, fear in my heart. Lord, I ask that today as we try to gently press against areas where people have idols of fear and worry and worship, that you would reveal those. And as they see who you are, a God of provision and a God of protection, they would rest in your sovereignty and your goodness and your control. Lord, if there's anything that's not from you, I ask that you would take it away from my notes and you wouldn't let it be something that I lead someone astray with. And I do ask that you would allow me to have the courage to speak boldly if there's anything that you want me to say to this group of individuals this morning. We love you. We pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Amen. So, as Jesus starts this section, it's important to know that it starts with a word that we need to stop on. It's therefore. And the question you'd always say is, what's the therefore, therefore? That should always, anytime you see that, that should be your go-to phrase and ask, why is that there? What is he talking about? Because he's saying something that relates to something else. And so, what is it? And so if you have been here through our series, we've actually talked on this actual section. It's the laying up treasures in heaven. That's the section that comes just before this one. And so he's talking about this idea of where is your treasure? Where is your trust? Where is your hope? If you didn't listen to that sermon or weren't here, I suggest go back, listen to it on the podcast or YouTube, and you can find that. But a flyby is where do you put your hope and trust in? Is it in God? Or is it in money? Which master will you serve? See, one is rooted in your ability, your provision, and the other one is rooted in God's. And depending on where you place your hope and which one is your master will really start to show anxiety and where it comes from. Now, the word anxious in the Bible here means to worry, be concerned, or to be concerned with. 
Now, I talked about the biblical counseling class that I went through, and John Henderson, in Equipped to Counsel uh, through the Association of Biblical Counselors, said this. This is their definition. Anxiety is a prolonged sensation of fear to a perceived danger. That's where anxiety comes from, that there is this sensation of fear in some way, shape, or form that leads to danger, discomfort in your life in some way. And so in verse 25, he's going to give his intro statement, which we'll unpack in the, state, uh, the section that follows. It says, do not be anxious about your life. And so he's saying anxiety and worry is connected to our life. And what does he mean by that? The word life in this is a state, the condition of living or the state of being alive, especially healthiness, happiness, exuberance, energy, vitality, and the like. So he's talking about the totality of who we are as individuals, that we should not have anxiety towards that. There, there, there should not be worry in our lives when it comes to who we are in Christ. Now, maybe you're asking the question, Simon, who doesn't worry in life? Everyone worries in life. It seems like every day there's a new thing to worry about, that a situation comes up that we don't know what to do, and so we find our minds dwelling on those things continually. Maybe you're that individual who stays up all night long staring at the ceiling worrying about the things of this world. You know how I know who you are? Because I'm the same as you. I have the same problems in my life as well. But what I want us to understand is that this is talking about a continuation of growing in this area in our life. It's a process that we move through. We're constantly going to be dealing with this. And, and what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God, his new kingdom, the people of his kingdom says they live differently. They don't live in anxiety anymore. And he'll make reference to the Gentiles in a few as we get down there. But it's really saying that we are dying to our old way of life, which is wrapped up in worry, which is wrapped up in lots of concern, that is wrapped up in us being the ones in control of all these situations. And so if we understand that it's an ongoing process, it means that God is giving us opportunities every day to not have anxiety and to not worry with whatever we're in. And then he brings up eating and drinking and what we wear, and he gives all these examples of how not to worry. Now, I want to take a quick pause real quick before we jump into my first point, and that is this. I understand that mental health is a very, um, it's a very real thing in the world that we live in. I understand that um, I am painting with pretty big strokes of the brush and that everybody's situation is a little bit different when it comes to anxiety. And as I talk about the idea of that anxiety is sin, if you're someone who struggles with um, chronic anxiety and worry that you could feel very uh, attacked, that that could be loading things on you. And that's not what I'm trying to do. And I understand that at times you need to have different uh, professionals come alongside you and help you with those areas so you can get to actually the truth that Jesus is talking about. So if you are in that place, know that I love you and that I care about you and I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to give you hope in this situation, okay? So just hear me say that. So the first point is this, is that we think on the provision of God. That's going to be verses 26 through 27. And the idea that we would be focused on God's provision. If you want to start attacking anxiety, if you want to start attacking worry, that we would focus on God's provision. Now, he says this idea with the word look. 
Look at the birds of the air. That word is a good translation, but I, I want to say this. I think it loses some of its power from the original language. Because if you look at the original word and what it says, the word look is to consider or to look at. To take into consideration as an example, conceived as directing one's gaze towards something. What is he really saying? That we would think on these perceived dangers in our life. That we would not just look at it as an example, but we would use our minds to think on, to ponder, to focus, and meditate on what he's saying. Does that make sense? Like, think through it. Don't just quickly glance and be on your way. But pause on this idea, this picture that Jesus wants to paint. He says, think about the birds of the air. They don't plant crops. They don't harvest the fields. They don't build giant storehouses and stick all their grain in there so they'll have food. No, a bird wakes up and eats for the day. That's what a bird does. They don't really think about it, and the earlier that bird is, the better that worm will be, apparently, according to how that goes. But what he's trying to say is he's trying to move to a bigger point that we would understand. As we talk about food, we are talking about provision. See, and he's saying this, God is the one who feeds these birds. That's his big point in this analogy. He is the one that makes the plants grow that have seeds. He's the one that makes the trees grow that have seeds. He's the one that puts water on the ground that makes the ground moist so there will be worms in it so that early bird can get that worm. That's what he does. God is ultimately in control of all things, and that's what he's trying to communicate in this section. There's a couple of passages. There's many passages, but I'm just going to read two of them today that highlight this idea. In Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God has made everything, and he controls everything, and he makes sure that all things function in the way that they should. He, to go back to the Old Testament, this is a, an Old Testament idea as well. Uh, Isaiah 45, 7 through 9. It says this, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds of rain uh, rain down righteousness. Let the earth open and that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see what he's communicating? God is in control and God is sovereign over all things. Nothing happens without the yes or the no of the Lord. He is the one that is holding all things together. And if he wasn't, it would be horrible. Think about that. That means if God isn't in control of all things, if he isn't sovereign over all things, it means that this world is just spinning out of control. 
This world is left to all the randomness of the world. So anything good that happens to you, it doesn't really matter. It's just random. Anything bad that happens to you, it doesn't matter. It's just random. That there's no meaning to anything. It's just the way that things kind of happen. Where's the hope in that? Like, I, I, like, where's the purpose in that? When something wrong happens in your life, like, what's, what's the point? Well, if your view is that God's not sovereign, then there really is no point at all, is there? You just got the short end of the stick. But if there is a sovereign God, it changes everything. It means that there is meaning behind what you're going through, good or bad. It means that there is a purpose, an eternal purpose, that God is using for his glory, ultimately for our joy and for the salvation of others. See, provision is from God. And then he makes this big shift as to why that's actually good news for us. Why does this matter? If, if he cares for these small little creatures that seem meaningless, that are here and gone, and he makes sure that they can eat, that they can survive, that they have life, well, how does he view us? How does he see us, his creation? Well, it tells us that we are much more valuable than they are. It's not to say that the birds of the air are not important, but in the grand scheme of creation and how we were designed, made in God's image, we have more value. And if he cares for these small creatures, if he cares for these what seem to be insignificant creatures that don't go hungry and that do eat, how much more does he care for us? How, how, how does he view us? He loves us. And, and I want to say this. Maybe you've never heard in your life that that is how God views you, that he, he sees you as someone that he loves and cares for. Maybe you've been told your life that God doesn't love you and God's not cool. He's not great. He doesn't want anything good to happen in your life. But what I'm telling you is, no, the Bible speaks opposite to that train of thought. That God does love you and he does care for you. And if this is the first time you've ever heard that there's a God that loves you, welcome. We want you to hear of the God who's gone to great lengths to shower you with his love and grace and mercy. The point is this, is that life comes from the ability to eat and drink, right? If we don't, you will perish. You're like, well, at first it's a great weight loss program, but ultimately you will perish if you don't eat and if you don't drink. That's the big idea. Meaning it is God who provides life for those that have it. He is the one that holds life and death in the palm of his hand. And in verse 27 it says, who by being anxious... Who by worrying can actually even add one hour to their life? Last year at VBS, we actually focused on my next section that I'm going to quote, which is Psalm 139. And in 16, it says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What is he saying? Before you were even made, I knew exactly how long you were going to live, and I formed it, and you are not going to live a moment longer than he is determined and decided. You may have a different quality of life depending on your life choices, but you are not going to live longer than God has deemed. 
no matter how much you try to protect yourself, no matter how many vitamins you take, no matter how much you run, if God wants to bring you home, you're going home. You can get hit by a bus, you can trip off a curb, or you can choke on hard candy. He doesn't really care. He's going to bring you home. And that's what he's saying. Your worry does not change the plan of what God has for your life. Our God provides everything we need because he loves and cares for us. And I would challenge you, focus on God's provision. The fact that you are breathing right now in this room is God's provision and grace and mercy on your life. And I guess I would ask a couple of questions. Do you see God as being in control of everything? If you don't, do you see yourself as being in control of everything? Because this is the heart and the root of anxiety all the time. Do you see God as a God who loves and cares for you? Do you see, if he is this God that has provided what we have, do you see that as loving? Do you see that as kindness? Do you see that as his mercy and his grace every day? See, he provides what we need. My second point, and what Jesus wants us to focus on when it comes to anxiety and worry in our life, is this, that we would consider the protection of God in verses 28 through 30. And he wants us to focus on God's protection in our life. Now, you all, well, not you all, but most of you know that I lived in Seattle for, for a while. And I would say that I had a, I, I had a very respectable wardrobe. Uh, when I lived in Seattle, I, I, I really put a lot of energy and effort into that wardrobe. And not because I just wanted to look really good, but the reality is this. Seattle is a hard area to live in. And the weather is actually very extreme. And so because of that, you have to buy particular clothes so you can survive in that kind of hostile environment. And if you don't, it actually can be quite dangerous for you. And the harsher the environment, the more important the clothing becomes. And so as you view clothing, and throughout history, it's been known as a bit of protection. That protection is associated with the idea of the clothing that we are. We don't think about it. We just think about shorts and a tank top because we live in the sun. You're like, well, I just said we need less clothes is what we need, not more clothes. It's so nice here. But that's what he's getting at here. And, and don't mishear this. Life is harsh. Life is difficult. Life is hard. And because of that, we also need protection in our own lives. And then he points to the flowers and how beautiful they are. Now, I went through a phase, and I think I'm still in this phase. I like to take pictures. I like photography in general. And when we lived in Washington, there was this magical time in Washington in the spring where everything blooms. And there are some of the most bizarre plants and flowers you could ever imagine. And when Annette and I would go on walks, I would just have to stop every 10 feet and take pictures all the time. Now, I think we have a slide of pictures of some of those flowers. Are they on there? They are not on there but let me tell you they are beautiful and amazing if you could envision that slide it would blow your mind that's a hard fail <laughs> the reality is this 
Look around the flowers. Do you understand why our clothing is so colorful? Do you understand why we paint things the way we do? It's all inspired by what we've found in nature, isn't it? Even the way that we design buildings and architecture is based off of some flowers and plants and the way that they have been made. They are unbelievable. And Jesus would say, that even King Solomon, who was the richest and wisest man that had ever lived, he's in the Bible, was not dressed as beautiful as the flowers of the field. I mean, let's be honest. If you know rich people, what do they do? They wear really nice clothes so you'll know that they are very important. Look at me. I have very nice clothes. They're very expensive. They're wonderful. You really need to know how important I am. So this sweatshirt, it's just a sweatshirt, but it costs $500. I'm important. <laughs> it's a thing. You know what I love about this? I'm gonna, this is just so off topic, but do you realize that Jesus says Solomon wasn't dressed in this way? How would he know that? You ever think about that? Like this brief statement of him actually saying, you know how I know? Because I saw it all and I know exactly how he was dressed because I'm God. Jesus is making this micro God statement in this phrase that I totally missed the first couple of times and I'm like, and you just, we just don't realize, like, I saw him. I know what he was dressed like. Solomon would have had professional people that lived in his palace continually making him clothes all the time. So every time someone came to see him, they would see how amazing and well-dressed he was because he was a very important person. See, and he's like, these flowers, they don't work. They don't toil. They don't spin for their beauty. God just gives it to them. See, these pictures of flowers that Jesus is talking about, they're pictures, little pictures of the beauty of God that he gives us to show us his glory. Yet as amazing as their beauty is, they only last for a short time. I don't know if you guys noticed on the way in like last month, that, that wall of purple as you drove in, it was like, wow, that is like, there's a neon light out there. It's all gone, it's all dead. It lasted a couple weeks and now it's gone. There's nothing. The sun comes out and it kills them. They're thrown in the fire. And then God, once again, points to his love for us and his protection for us. He says, if God does this for the flowers, how much more will he protect and clothe you? And then he makes this really hard statement. Oh, you of little faith. Faith? Let's talk about faith. What does anxiety and provision and protection have to do with my faith? See, at the heart of anxiety and worry is fear. That is where it's all at. And that's why it says that it's a, a prolonged sensation of fear of a perceived danger. But I read an even greater quote this week. I don't even know who, who said it, but I liked it. So I'm quoting someone. It's not my original thought. It says this, we will always fear what we worship and worship what we fear. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it first either. But I'm like, it sounds smart, so what is it really saying? <laughs> what it's saying is this. Let me give you an example out of my life. I am a chronic people pleaser. I want people to be happy with me. I want people to like me. I'm in a real dangerous position here right? Like, this is not a good place for a people pleaser at all. And so, what is my fear then? Well, my fear is rejection from others. 
And so because I don't want to be rejected by others, I will dump copious amounts of time, energy, thought, and worry into you not rejecting me and doing things that you will then say, I like him, he has value, he has worth. You know how hard it is at times to write sermons if I was to think that way? If I'm here to, well, this person would like this point, and this person would like, well, this person's theological view is different, so I can't say this, and well, I don't want to offend them. I'm going to offend everybody. So I've decided today I will always offend everybody so we're all equal, okay? So that's how I'm going to preach from here on out because it's just easier that way than it is to try to make you all happy. And so that's my, my I, I laugh and I joke because the reality is this, is that if I move towards that thing that I fear and worship, I'm never going to be effective, I'm not gonna be who God designed me to be. I'm not gonna communicate his word appropriately. And I'm gonna to try to tweak and alter and move it around to say what I think will get me what I want. And that's what I worship, which is others' approval. And I'm sure you can plug in any one of your fears into that thing and work through that same process. See, at the end of this, anxiety comes from this fear that, that God is not going to protect or provide for me. That's really what the fear is. And what's happening when we worry, what's happening when we're anxious is that ultimately, and, and this is a hard one to hear, we're not trusting God. If you chronically worry and you're chronically anxious, it's that we're not trusting God. And, and, and hear what I'm saying. There's two ways that this plays out that we need to understand. One is, is that we believe a lie that God is not infinitely sovereign and in control. Meaning that God isn't in control. These things that happen are random. That I need to be the one to make the decisions in my life because someone has to, right? And so if, he's, if I believe that he's not sovereign, then I have to go ahead and take care of all the things. I have to be the one in control. I got to steer the boat. The second one is that God is not infinitely good and he gives me bad things. Well, God doesn't really love me. You know, God's kind of like that weird kid with a magnifying glass burning ants because he's bored. He just has nothing to do, so he's just gonna mess with my life. That's, that's who he is. You're like, I did that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to being offended. But we live in that way, right? Well, God doesn't give me good gifts, so I'm gonna get my good gifts, what I think are good gifts. I'm going to be in charge of my life because I know what's best for me. He doesn't know. And you know what's great? The enemy would rather you believe one, both, whatever. He doesn't care as long as you believe those lies. Because at that point, you reject God what he would want. And then you then make yourself your own God. And you're in charge of your life, which is the exact same problem that led us to where we are with sin in this world. Romans 8 28 actually just says this really powerful section. And it says this. Um, <clears throat> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And you're like, that's a weird verse to maybe bring up, Simon. But if you know the character and the nature of God that we've just talked about, his provision, his protection, his love, his care for us, we can actually hold to that verse and know that what he is doing is ultimately going to be for good because there is purpose in it. The hurt that you're going through, there's purpose there. 
I don't always know what it is on this side of eternity, right? Can we just own that? We don't know why. But there will come a day when we stand before God and he's like, well, I want you to see everything. And you go, oh, well, of course that's the only way that it could have worked. Of course that's the only way that you could have received glory. See, the gospel tells us how God is working out this good on the cosmic scale for his glory and for our benefit. And that is the gospel. That is Romans 8, 28. This is the good that he has worked out for us. He has saved us from separation from him, from his wrath, from his punishment, from his judgment, to be cast into hell for forever because of our rebellion and rejection of God. And yet, he's provided a way that's based out of his love and his goodness. Do, do, you, do you want to know that you're loved? Do you want to understand and believe that God does love you? Then I would just ask you to turn to John 15, 13. Highlight this in your Bible. It says, greater love has no one than this. So what's the greatest love that can be shown to anyone in the entire world? That someone laid down his life for his friends. This is what God did for you through his son Jesus on the cross. You cannot be more loved than what Jesus did on the cross for you. There is, you're never going to be more loved. Anything else that we get from God is just gravy. It's just, the, it's just extra. I was thinking about it this week and God saved me from hell and he gave me salvation and I just thought about my wife and I'm like, and you gave me my, my wife? You didn't need to do that. You didn't have to do that. You're just good. But my wife is not greater than my salvation in Jesus. It's just gravy. And if he's willing to do this for us, if he's willing to save us in this way, to show this kind of love, why do we question silly things like food and water and clothes? We don't have to sweat the small stuff because God handles the big stuff, which means he can handle the small stuff, which means if he loves us, he's involved in every single aspect of that. That's who he is. That's his character. That's his nature. And what he's saying is if you want to battle anxiety, if you want to battle worry, focus on his provision, his protection. And then he says, don't act like the rest of the world. He used the word therefore again. In light of everything that I just told you, don't be anxious about these things because you know that you have value, because you know that you are loved, because you know that you are cared for. And then he points to the Gentiles. It's kind of a weird shift. Like, why is he talking about the Gentiles? Who's he talking about? He's talking about what we would call in the church as pagans, those who don't have God, those who aren't saved, those who are outside of the kingdom of God. He's like, it's natural that they're going to worry. They don't have hope. And so they are trying to toil and spin and reap and store up because they don't have a hope in a God that has loved them in that way. Don't be like them. That's how you used to be. That's your old life. You don't need to act that way anymore. Before we had no choice. Now we actually have a choice. Isn't that amazing? We have a choice now. We don't have to do that. We don't have to have that stress, that anxiety in our lives. You don't. We don't put our hope in ourselves anymore. See, this is all part of the gospel as well. The gospel says that you don't put your hope in your works and your ability. You put your hopes in whose? In Jesus' hopes. 
and his works and his abilities, not our own. See, Jesus is weaving this, this perfect story all together. And I love the next phrase in 32. He's like, he doesn't condemn the things that we're talking about here. He's not saying that food and drink are bad. He's not saying that clothing's bad. He's not saying provision and protection aren't bad. He actually says, I know that you need these things. He actually says, and I know that they're important and that you need them. You, and I, I'm the one that provides them. Have you thought about this? When you ask for something or desire something and you don't get it, that that's actually the best thing in the world? It's a blessing from God. He's saying, no, that's bad for you. No, that's not going to keep you focused on what's most important. No, that will distract you from me. Have you ever praised God for a no? I've, I struggled with that for forever. Just recently, I'm thanking God for the no's in my life. I'm thanking God for the things that I didn't get or the things that I did want and I didn't receive. And he's not saying that it's bad to work. The Bible's really clear on that you should work hard. He's not saying it's, it's, it's bad to be smart with your money. He talks about money a lot too. He's not saying it's bad to live in a house and have nice clothes. That's, that's, that's not bad. But if you find yourself anxious and worrying about it all the time, it might be because you're more about self-preservation than you, and that's your chief ambition. That might be the problem. And here's the problem with that idea. If our hope rests in our work and our ability, then we are in the most trouble because we know that we will fail at some point. Amen? We are a new creation with a new heart, so we don't have to act like the old self. We are Christians now. We did not earn or deserve anything that was given to us, but as a gift of God. So we need to focus on our new life, not our old life, to battle anxiety and worry. My last point is the killer of anxiety. See, Jesus knows that this is going to feel unattainable. It seems like there's no way we can go through life this way. And that's why I come back to the idea that this is a process. Every day brings its own amount of worries and troubles and stressors because why? We live in a, full, a fallen, broken world full of sin and full of sinners. It's going to be tough on this side of eternity. If anyone has told you different, they have lovingly lied to you. Jesus is going to tell us how we can do this. He says the first step is that we seek First, the kingdom of God. What does that mean, seek the kingdom of God? Well, he's talking about a kingdom, and if there's a kingdom, it usually means that there's someone ruling it, and he is a king, right? So because of that, it means that we are to be about the things of God. We are about to be about the things of that kingdom. If it's God's kingdom, we need to be about the things of that king. When Jesus was asked at one point in his, in his ministry, towards the end of his ministry, what's the most important commandment in the entire Bible? Meaning, what's the most important thing to God? What's most important to God? And I'm sure most of you know the verse and know the passage. It's Matthew 22, 37 through 40. If you don't, another one to highlight in your Bible. It says this, and he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The first one is that we would live a life that everything about us is focused on who God is. We would love him with every fiber of our being. That we would be focused on worshiping him in everything, meaning that we would trust God with every single part of our life, no matter what, knowing that he is good, knowing that he is loving, knowing that he has our best interest in mind, whether you believe that or not. If you want to be focused on the kingdom, it means that you're going to be living an example of the gospel in every aspect of your life, that you would reflect Christ constantly, that you would love your neighbors the way that you would desire to be loved. And why does he say that? Because what did Jesus do for us? He loved us in a way that we couldn't fathom. When we were in need, when we were in danger, when we were distant, when we were in rebellion, he came to us. He says, they can't save themselves, so I will come and save them. I will care for them. We are called to be that same light to the world around us, to those inside the church, and to those outside the church. Because by reaching out to others and focusing on others, our worries for ourselves tend to go away, don't they? They really do. Start serving others. Start caring for others if you want to see your worry and your anxiety start to dissipate in your life. And as you start to meet the needs in others' lives, really what you're trying to do is show them that there's a greater need, that there's a separation between them and the Almighty God and there's an eternal judgment waiting and that there is hope through Jesus Christ, the God who loves them through his Son. The second is that you would live a life that is righteous. And what I mean by that is this, that you would listen and follow what Jesus says. That as you read God's word, if he says, this is sin, then we would be in agreement and say, that is sin, and we would want that far from our life. If God says, this is good, then we would call that good. If he says, you should live this way, that we would live that way. See, there's an obedience and a trust. It's a tangible trust with God with everything that we do. I mean, let's follow the example of Jesus Christ. He submitted not just with lip service, but with word and deed. Remember when he went to the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane, he's in the garden, he's about to go and carry the sins of the world, he's gonna die on the cross for us, and what's he say? Lord, take this cup from me. But I love what he says next. But not my will your will be done. He understood. Now, Peter's, remember Peter rebuked him? No, 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 you can't do it. You can't do it. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. You don't realize, like you think that this, this momentary bit of pain that I'm going through, that I shouldn't. He's like, no, it's the only way for salvation for the entire world that everyone would have peace with God through this act and it is worth it and he went willingly. He wasn't drugged to the cross. He went on his own accord knowing there was a plan of God that we are called to live our lives in this way as well. That there will be suffering, that it will be difficult, but it is all for the glory of God and what he wants. And the last thing that he says again here is that he commands us to not be anxious. Stop being focused on tomorrow. You know what tomorrow is? Something that you can't hold, something that you can't touch, and something that's not here right now. You try to hold tomorrow. You can't hold tomorrow. Because when you get to tomorrow, tomorrow's still there. 
no matter what you do. Today may be your last day on earth. You might not even make it to the sunset. All we can do today is focus on God and trust him for what we have today in every single area. Trusting in his provision, trusting in his protection until he takes us home. And that trust starts with trusting Jesus for salvation and placing your life in the life of Jesus Christ for your hope and for your glory and for all. See, here's the thing. Today's got enough to deal with. If you're focused on tomorrow, this is what happens. Anxiety and worry is about the future. That's tomorrow. And it steals the joy, strength, and fruitfulness of today. That's what it does. It makes you ineffective for what God has called you to today if you're focused on tomorrow. Lay down your control. Trust in God's control for your life. I don't know if you struggle with anxiety. Uh, last week, we provided a little Bible study, uh, a one-week study. This, did it again. This is on anxiety. If you want more verses on anxiety, it looks like we, in the back, you can grab those. We printed those off for you. They'll be on our, our web stuff as well. If not, reach out to us, and we'll get those to you. But what I want to do is I want to pray. I want to invite the band to come back up, and then we're going to go ahead and focus on communion, and then tangibly take communion together as we trust and believe in who God is and what he did with his son on the cross.